You're listening to a C3 Victory podcast. To find out more, visit us online at c3victory.org.au. a great series at the moment as a church, uh, looking at this idea of the Father's house. Um, being that that's what we say we, we subscribe to, that's, that's what we say we are. We, we are. we are the expression of the Father's house here on earth, here now, uh, as it is in heaven and will be one day. Uh, we are it. Now, this is the Father's house. If we, if we say, you know, God, we believe God, the Father in heaven, um, His Son, Jesus, His Holy Spirit, uh, and, and, and the community of believers that declare that He is who He says He is, then that makes us uh, what Scripture would say is the Father's house. Um, and so we, we, we've been unpacking that a little bit and recognising that uh, the first aspect of the Father's house is this idea of belonging, uh, that we are to belong. Uh, and, and I would say that we are, to, uh, or we are allowed to belong before we believe. That as a community, we should be open to and encouraging of people coming in, uh, welcoming, uh, making them feel like they have a space that they can belong in uh, well before they even are ready to say, you know what, I believe. Uh, I think that we are in uh, a generation at the moment uh, where Jesus is absolutely still the answer, uh, but He's a few questions away from where He used to be in people's lives. And we have to be open and we have to be ready and we have to be accepting of people doing, doing a journey where they ask a lot more questions and, and, and maybe uh, they're, they're on a longer term journey before they get to the point where in their heart they're ready to go, you know what I do? Believe that Jesus is who He said He is and I believe that God is who He says He is. Um, and so we have to be a community that allows people to belong allows people to be here, they're welcomed, accepted, loved, encouraged, built up. We have to be a community that allows and enables that before people believe. Because if we're not, what happens when we go through our seasons where we're not sure we believe? We, 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 have, to have, we have to be okay with people struggling in, in their belief or, or being uh, prior to their belief. Otherwise, otherwise, what happens when authentically we're, we're in that space where life, life throws us a super curveball and, 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 and it crashes straight into what we thought was an, an undeniable foundation in our world? Because I don't know about you, but we, like, you live long enough, you'll go through those moments where everything you thought you believed comes under a bit of shakiness. And I would hope that we are a community that in those times when we have people come to us saying, you know, I, I'm genuinely struggling with what I believe, we don't say, well, now you don't belong. We say, well, guess what? You, you absolutely still belong and we're going to encourage you and we're going to walk that journey with you and we're going, to, we're going to take you back from a place that you have been shaken to a place where you're secure again in what you believe. Well, it has to be the foundation of belong first. Otherwise, as soon as someone says they, they're struggling with belief, we're not going to know how to handle that. And so we've been unpacking that and Pastor Keith kicked off our series. It was an awesome word. And then last week we talked about community and how, how it's a choice. It's a choice to be in community. We don't have an obligation to be in community. Uh, we, can, we can be here, uh, but at the same time, we can be distant in our hearts. Um, we, can, we can be close um, or, 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 you know, we can, we can be sporadic and we'll lack the consistency that's required to, to build strength in our community. Um, we looked at all of the ingredients in a strong community. And, and today we're continuing 
our series on belong. And, and this morning, what we want to look at is this idea of what Jesus calls covenant. Which, which is a little bit of a Bible word this morning. Uh, and I'm going to do my best to do a bit of teaching uh, this morning, if that's okay. We're going we're to actually dig in a little bit to this, this biblical word covenant. It's not something that we use a lot in today's day and age, um, other than perhaps maybe at a wedding or something like that, we would, we would use that word. But, but it, is a, it is a strong uh, word in Scripture and it carries significance and it carries meaning. And as we unpack it, uh, the value of it, and the benefit and, and the way in which it outworks in community becomes far more clear to us and we recognise why it was that Jesus chose that word to describe what it was that He was establishing once He went to the cross. Um, so um, I would have loved to have kind of had, I was going to talk to Pastor Earl about stealing a live youth's awesome like black blackboard because I know they have one, um, but I didn't get to it. So you, you, you're going to have to have teaching this morning without a, a whiteboard if that's all right. Can we... We handle that, um, but it does mean that I want to encourage you to take some notes this morning. Um, just, just like uh, going to a good restaurant, um, you want to you want to take the leftovers home and, and chew over them during the week. Uh, I like to do that uh, with Indian the next day. It's always good. Uh, or pizza. Who's up for cold pizza? Cold pizza? Come, yes. Come on. I had late pizza snack last night. It was great. I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm a huge fan of New Year's. Is anyone else a huge fan of New Year's Eve? I have one person up the back. Come on. Yes. Yeah, Pastor Earl's a big fan. I, I'm a huge fan of New Year's. Um, I love the idea of, I don't think I've shared this before, it's the idea of the new. It's the next, it's like the closing of one chapter, the beginning of another. Uh, I, just, I also love to party. Um, not in the ways that maybe you immediately think of, because um, that, that, that would possibly call into question my integrity as, as your pastor. But I love, I love the fun and the excitement. I love the build-up. I, I love everything that goes towards this climactic conclusion of a year and the beginning of a new one. It's fresh, it's brand new, it's full of potential. Um, and, and so I love celebrating that. Uh, and so I, I, I tend to like to do something significant on New Year's. It didn't happen this year. Uh, which is okay. Um, and as, I, uh, as I've kind of got young kids now, I'm learning that perhaps the significance uh, can happen at 9 p.m. as opposed to waiting all the way to 12 p.m. Um, so that I don't have um, a train wreck of um, a day the next day. But it's interesting because a new year is only new because we leave the last year behind. I don't know if you've thought about that. I, this is the sort of stuff I think of during the week. And like new, <laughs> new is often misinterpreted, right? We often, we, whenever we see the word new, sometimes we can misinterpret this as something that we've never had as opposed to a replacement of something that we did have. So for instance, we don't, uh, like our, 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 our newborn child probably does not think, wow, this is, an, this is New Year, this is New Year's Eve. But we think of it as a new year because we've had a whole lot of other years, so for, so for us, we've had old ones, therefore, therefore we see that the one that's coming is a new one. And, and it's that same idea that we have to get our minds around when it comes to this, this biblical word of covenant. Because if we, if we read the Bible, what we understand is that, that when Jesus talks about the new covenant, it's only because there's been previous ones. Okay, this isn't because there's something that's never happened before. Okay, this isn't a new covenant in, in, in the sense of the word that they've never had a covenant with God before. This is a new one because it's the new after the old. 
okay? And, and something that I just, I just want to debunk a little myth uh, straight up, if that's all right. Sometimes we connect this idea, we've, we've heard a little bit about this, this concept, the old covenant and the new covenant. And, and if we're not careful when we're in church, we realise that the Bible's split into two sections and we call them the New Testament and the Old Testament. And, and somewhere in our head, our head goes, oh, new and old and new and old and I'll connect them. And so two, if we're not careful, we connect the New Testament as the new covenant and the Old Testament as the old covenant. And, and actually that's not entirely appropriate to do that. Now, yes, a lot of our New Testament scripture does unpack the idea of the new covenant, but a good portion of the first four books actually uh, are written still in a time where the old covenant was lived by. It's not until we get to the, the latter stages of the gospel where Jesus goes to the cross that the new covenant becomes established. And so we have to recognise that when we read through a lot of the Gospels, we have to read in the context of, of, of that the community was living in and, and, and functioning in still the, the, the old covenant system. And not only that, but too often we, we, we go New Testament is one and Old Testament is one. And we think that New Covenant is one and we think Old Covenant was one. But it wasn't one. In fact, if you read your way through Scripture, what you find is that there was covenant after covenant after covenant after covenant that God made with His people. Um, and so if we, if we mis, uh, misplace Old Testament and Old Covenant, we miss the value of the progression that we see in the Old Testament covenants. We miss the, the, the big picture story that God is trying to express to us in, in, in having a covenant after covenant after covenant with his, with his people. You see, if we go all the way back to the beginning, if we go Genesis, right? We have the garden, we've got the people, we've got God, He's walking with the people, it's perfect, it's the utopia, it's amazing. And what we have to understand is that that sets the scene for the way God planned for things to be. That's how it was supposed to be. There wasn't supposed to be a fall or anything like that. But even though there was, God had already planned for, for, the, for a solution. Okay? But, but what God had initially set in place was that God desired a people who were His, who would establish and carry His kingdom in a location and spread it out by outworking His kingdom purpose. And it's those things that we have to keep clearing our minds because they are the things that God begins to re-establish via covenants with a chosen people throughout the Old Testament. And it's critical because, because as He's doing that, He's moving towards what will eventually be the, the exact thing that He set up initially back via the new covenant. So, so let's, 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 track, let's track this for a second, okay? We have to understand that each covenant builds on the previous covenant, okay, continuing to maintain and establish what was lost, which was the original plan, until it is re-established in its fullness, which will occur in the second coming of Christ. Um, now, if we go all the way back, we find Noah, first of all, okay, Noah gets the first covenant, all right, and that's the covenant where God says, I'm not going to kill everything on earth via water again, okay, which is good because uh, Genesis was all about the creation, not the destruction, and so there was this garden that was made, and, and so we're getting this uh, uh, kind of sense that God is re-establishing that this, I'm not going to wipe this out by water anymore. Then we get Abraham in Genesis 15, and this is the first time that God says, I'm going to re-establish a people, just like 
like I had a people in the form of Adam and Eve in the garden. I'm re-establishing a people, Genesis 15. Um, And then he says, I'm going to give you a land. He's establishing a people and a location via covenant. And this covenant is critical because this is the covenant that was made by God. If you, if you go back and study Genesis 15, what you find is that there was this whole thing with sacrifice and Abraham cut these animals in half and then he fell into a sleep. And what he saw was God pass through the two halves um, of, of the animals. And, and then these vultures came down, tried to eat them and Abraham shooed them off. And that was all like a prophetic picture of the fact that the Israelites would go into captivity. Um, however, in ancient culture, when someone made a, cut, a deal, a covenant, there, were, there had to be this cutting and the parties would walk through the, the gap of the cut together to, to confirm that this was a, a deal that had been made between both of them. And this is why that's significant because God was the only one that passed through the covenant in Genesis 15. Now, Nay, why are you saying all this? Uh, get to the point quickly, I'm getting lost. This is because in, in the Garden of Eden, God created man. The, 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 the selection or the establishment of a people who were gods was done by God alone. And he is re-establishing that via covenant saying, the choosing of people is on me and me alone. And so Abraham never passed through. So Abraham could not deselect himself as the people of God because that was not, he did not come into the, uh, 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 an agreement by passing through. It was only God that passed through. And so it was on God to establish a people. It was on God to select a, a, a people group. And so, and so we see that he does this in Genesis 15. And then in Genesis 17, he continues to refine the definition of his people. And if we track the Israelites, we see that they constantly refer to this idea of the, the lineage of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the nation of Israel comes from that as God's chosen people group. But what we see in Genesis 17 is that God extends the definition of his people by naming Abram, Abraham. It says, you will now be the the, the father of many nations. And he says, my people one day will not just be one nation, but many nations. It's the prophetic picture of the new covenant where where it won't just be the Jews, but it will be all of the Gentiles included in the people of God. This is the the first uh, uh, picture that we all people will once again be able to come in under the banner of, of the people of God. And so, and so he's, he's re-establishing one aspect of what was lost in the garden. And then, and then we go to the Mosaic Covenant in, in Exodus. And, and God never gets rid of these previous ones. He's just building, he's just re-establishing, he's just placing a little bit more detail, a little bit more detail on what is, what is moving uh, things and the story towards the, what we read in Scripture, the New Covenant. And in Exodus, what we find is we get a people, a location and a lifestyle that gets defined. Okay, And so it says that they would be recognisable as His people. So lifestyle is what becomes recognisable. So God can establish us as a people, but it's how we live as that people, which helps others to see that we are that people. Okay, and so, and so He gives a set of guidelines that will, that will guide their lifestyle so that when people who are not yet His people look at the people that He has chosen as His people, they're gonna be like, why are you living like that? Why are you doing that? Why are you not doing that? Everyone else does that, but you're choosing not, why? why? Because, because by living according to those guidelines, they were able to create a point of difference which caused people to ask a question which would point people to the fact that there was an Almighty God. The, I can tell you right now, 
telling you, the role of the people of God has always been to demonstrate that there's a God. That's our purpose on planet Earth, to point to the fact that He's God, He has a kingdom, and by outworking the purposes of His kingdom on Earth, we demonstrate the fact that there is a God. And so in Moses, in, in, through Moses and Exodus, what we get is this, is this lifestyle guidelines. Now we would know that as the law, okay? And too often we think the law is the only part of the old covenant, but it's not. It's like the third or fourth kind of, kind of part that, that God gives them, okay? And it's interesting because it's in this point that he prophetically declares that one day he will have a kingdom of priests, which we actually see come to pass as a part of the new covenant, where in 1 Peter, it says that that is actually who we are now. It says that we are a royal a priesthood. Uh, we are a royal, a, a royal a kingdom of royal, a royal priesthood. Let me get the words out. And so that prophetic picture is, is once again fulfilled in the here and the now and the covenant that we live in. And then, and then we go from Mosaic to Davidic, which is, which is to do with David. And this is all about kings. This is about establishing a king, which ultimately was to point to Jesus, who would be the ultimate king and and, and the king of the kingdom of God on earth. And so by David, what we get is we get a people, we get a location, we get a lifestyle and we get a kingdom. And we are at the point where where almost all of the things that were lost at the Garden of Eden have have been either promised, uh, instituted or or outlined about how they will need to function to re-establish what was lost in the beginning. All right, you still with me? This is the Old Testament in like five minutes. Now, some of these covenants came with terms. And those that, that chose to, to try and, and abide by these terms formed the community that operated under the covenant. Okay, um, and, and so as people attempted to live according to these terms of the covenant, they, they, they obviously lived close together and there was consistency in their life and so and so what was formed was a community under covenant it was a community that related with each other and related to their outside world according to the covenant that they lived in now this is why it's important sometimes to progress through the old testament because it gives us foundation and it gives us background to understand these things do not disappear when we get in the new covenant okay these things go through the cross to the new covenant. For instance, the way in which we live in community should still be under the covenant that we live in. That concept of covenant and community isn't lost as we go from the old to the new. We're still a community that that gets its identity from the covenant that we say we live under. I hope you're ready to go deep this morning because... All right, here we go. So, So a new covenant leads to a new commandment. So what we saw in the Old Testament, that as these covenants were given, guidelines were given with them. And these guidelines directed how the community under that covenant should function within themselves and should function in the, in the, in the outer, outer communities that they existed within. Right from Abraham, uh, sorry, Genesis 17 with Abraham, the condition or the terms or the guidelines as to how they should live so that they were recognisably different, the guideline way back, Genesis 17, was circumcision. That was the guideline that God placed on that point of the covenant. And then we would know later on, we, they get the Ten Commandments, 
which are the guidelines connected to the Mosaic Covenant. It was to guide how the community should live so there was a point of difference between them and those that existed around them. And then, and then what we understand is that the, the Levites, the priests translated those Ten Commandments and ended up with over 400 laws that the nation of Israel had to live by so that not only would they be holy under God, but that they would be differentiated and recognisable as, as the people of God, the chosen nation. And so there's always this, oh, no, I won't say always because the first one didn't, but there's, there's very often these commandments, these guidelines that are connected with covenant. And so if we now have a new covenant, if what Jesus is saying there, that we now exist in a new covenant, then we have to understand that that comes with a new guideline. It comes with a new commandment. And the new commandment is found in John 13, 34. It says, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Who's grateful that our new covenant only has one commandment, which is to love rather than 400 regulations and rules which we have to abide by. I'm very happy about that. You love one another as I have loved you and that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. New New covenant, new commandment. Pastor Phil Pringle, who's the the leader of C3 Movement, he says, love is the culture of the Father's house. That scripture that we read just then where Jesus gives this new commandment, if we unpack the context of that scripture, we have to to mesh a couple of the gospel stories to make sure we get alignment of what's written chronologically in the right place. And if we we just take Matthew and John and, and overlay them, we get this progression where, where a lot of writing occurred in a 24-hour period, the last 24 hours of Jesus' life. And if you're familiar with any parts of that, the, the end of the Gospels, you would know that there's a time where Jesus washes His disciples' feet. It's fairly famous and it's, it's, it's the, the, one of the expressions of the way we're supposed to love. It's, it's Jesus outworking the commandment that He's about to give His people. And so the context of John 13 is that Jesus has just washed His disciples' feet. He's just gone and done, up until that point, the greatest act of service to the people who are following Him. The greatest act of of love that they have seen. And, And just after that is where Judas goes to betray Jesus. And so they're all kind of hanging out last supper. As they enter the room, Jesus bends down, He washes their feet. They're sitting at the table. Jesus starts kind of explaining some things. He says, hey, whoever I dip the bread and the wine to and gives it to Judas and Judas leaves. Okay, and then, and then we get Matthew 26, which is where Jesus says, you know, a new covenant I give to you, breaks the bread, blesses it, the scripture that we started with. And immediately following that, we end at John 13. And I think it's really interesting that, that Jesus gives us a model of what the new covenant is supposed to look like before He tells us that we're there. If you want to know what the new covenant is supposed to look like, we look at how Jesus operated with His disciples. We look at how Jesus operated with the world around Him. The command to love one another was not new. We actually can find it in Deuteronomy. But it was how they were supposed to love one another that was new. There was a new depth, a new level of sacrifice, a new level of of the way in which this love was supposed to be outworked that that they had never actually experienced before. It was a type of love that they had never seen before 
and there was an ability necessary that they had never had before. You see, in John 15, it says, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for a friend. So, so we get the, what that looks like, the washing of the feet. And then that's, that, that comes, John 15, when he's sitting with his disciples the last night that he's going to spend with them. And he is unpacking, hey guys, there's this thing. I know you know of these old covenants, but let me tell you, you know, they were leading to something. They, they, were, they were slowly, step by step, working towards something. You have to understand that God had this, this people at the beginning and they, they, they were His people and they were, they were placed in the Garden of Eden for a purpose to, to, to establish the dominion of God on earth and to spread it, spread it out across the face of the earth so that, so that His King and the purposes of His kingdom would be outworked by His people on earth. And, and you need to understand, guys, we've been, we've been working back towards that by a series of covenants of, of, of choosing people and giving them a location and having them establish a kingdom and then outwork that kingdom's purpose. But, but the point is that the, the, the reality is they could never do it. The, the, the level at which they had to live, it was too high. It was always beyond them. So this now is the new covenant. This is, this is the last chapter of covenant that God's going to make because this is the one that's going to re-establish everything that was lost way back at the beginning. This is the one that's going to make a people more than one nation, but many nations. This is the one that's going to enable every person who believes in the name of Jesus to come under the new covenant and to enable the kingdom of God to be lived in them on planet earth right now the way it was supposed to be. And Jesus is saying, I'm, I'm starting it now. I am the first of all that is to come in this new covenant and it begins. And let me tell you what it looks like. It looks like this. He bends down, he's, he's washed their feet. And then he goes, let me take it a step further because in, in a few hours you need to understand, I'm actually, I'm going to die for you because that's what it looks like. That's what it looks like. See, the new covenant leads to a new commandment that is lived out by a new community. And that community is the Father's house. A new community. A people trying to live according to the terms. See, nothing's changed. We're still a group of people trying to live according to the terms of the covenant that we say we live under. Except that our terms, our terms are love. Our terms are love. The things that guide this community is love. That's what's supposed to dictate and direct how we act, not just with each other, but how we act with, with people outside of this community so that, so that the way in which we live in accordance with the covenant that we say we're under is going to be like a shining light globe for the God that we say is real, that we know and that we serve. The lifestyle lived by the people dictated by the terms was always to create distinction, to, to demonstrate that there was a God. Nothing's changed. The church is a community of people trying to live according to the terms of the new covenant. Love. It's, it's, it's a word with many meanings in today's day and age. And, and this, is, this is where we need to build our understanding of aspects of covenant on truth, not on, on opinion, not, not, on, not on vibe, not on um, social media, uh, 
you know, not, not on just what everybody else is saying love is, but, but we need to build our idea of love. If that is our only guideline uh, that we are to live as a people of God, then, then we really need to know what, what he's talking about when he says love one another. And Paul unpacks it really well for us in 1 Corinthians 13. And this is a passage many of us are familiar with. We probably had it at our weddings if we're married. If not, probably jot it down in preparation. Um, it's a great one. I'm going to read it to you in the message this morning. And I want, I want, I want it just to soak in a little bit because this is not some light, flowery expression of love. If I was to use a bit of modern vernacular, this is this love, the one savage love. That's for all my live youth people that are that are around. It says if I speak with human eloquence and angelic ecstasy, but don't love, I'm nothing but the creaking of a rusty gate. If I speak God's words with power, revealing all his mysteries and making everything plain as day. And if I have faith to say to a mountain, jump, and it jumps, but I don't love, I'm nothing. If I give everything I own to the poor and even go to the stake to be burned as a martyr, but I don't love, I've gotten nowhere. Let's pause for a second on, on that because, because this, you remember this is Paul writing a letter to a, a church of new believers. And last week, we looked at the first group of new believers and we looked at the fact that as a community, they sold their possessions to give to the poor. And many of them were martyred for their faith. And here is Paul saying, listen, don't just copy what they did, get why they did it. You see, the early church sold their possessions not because they were told to sell their possessions. They did it because they had an encounter with the Holy Spirit and were so moved by the love of God that, that out of love, they, they chose to do something. Out of love, they were, they were motivated to, to sell something so no one had lost, not because it was a requirement, but because love so motivated their, what they did, that, that they did these things. And here, Paul's, just, Paul's, Paul's reminding the early church because as humans, we have a propensity to do what someone did without understanding why they did what they did. And so we become copies. And we, because we see the fruit, we think, well, if I just do that, the same will happen. And that's not the case. The fruit of what they did was a Thousands were added to their number daily. But can I tell you, it wasn't because they sold their possessions. It was because of the, the core of how they operated as a community was because it was out of love that thousands, thousands were added to their number daily. It was because in their heart, they had subscribed and bought in and lent into the one single guideline that Jesus had given to them in how this community was supposed to function. And love drove what they did. So don't just, Paul says, if, if, if I sell my possessions to the poor, and, and even if I'm martyred, but I don't have love, I've got nothing. Don't just do what they did because it seemed to get results. No, no, no. No, dig down and find out what it was under the surface in their heart that caused that type of a response. And get that. Get that. So no matter what I say, what I believe, and what I do, I'm bankrupt without love. Love never gives up. Love cares more for others than for self. Love doesn't want what it doesn't have. Love doesn't strut, I'm out. Doesn't have a swelled head. 
doesn't force itself on others. It isn't always me first and it doesn't fly off the handle. It doesn't keep score of the sins of others. It doesn't revel when others grovel. I feel like under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Paul is slowly explaining love in terms that bring us in the same way that almost every teaching of Jesus brings us to a single point. And that should always be the same point. It should be the point where we begin to realise, well, I might have maybe been able to do a couple of the things, like love never gives up. Well, I can probably do that. I can probably never give up. You know, I'm pretty, I'm pretty good at believing the best. I'm pretty good at, at not giving up on things. I've got a lot of determination, so maybe, maybe I could do that. But under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, no, Paul pens things that slowly get more and more difficult for us as human beings to do. And it takes us to a place where we're always supposed to be, and that is the end of ourselves. And at the knees of Jesus, going, God, I can't do this. It takes pleasure in the flowering of truth. It puts up with anything, anything. It trusts God always. I mean, I might be seven for 10 on a good week, but always, always, he follows it up with another always always looks for the best, never looks back, but keeps going to the end. I'm done. I'm, I, can't, I can't love like that. If that's, love, if, that, if, that's the, if that's what it's supposed to look like in the community under the new covenant, I, I can't do that. I mean, I don't know about you. Maybe, maybe, maybe you're far better at always believing the best in someone. Maybe you never wonder whether someone's trying to take you for a ride or, 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 or maybe, maybe you always trust God irrespective of the situation or circumstance. Maybe, maybe right at the start when I talked about the fact that we have these things in life where, where it's like a, a ball comes in and shatters your foundation of faith. Maybe you're like, mm, no, nah, I always trust God. But I'm not like that. I get, I'm, I'm a human. Frailties and issues. I'm at the end of myself in this Scripture. I'm like, God, I can't love like that. If that's, the, if that's what our community is supposed to look like so that people can see, gee, I can't do that. Uh, I'm so blessed that Paul didn't write just one letter because <laughs> he also wrote to Romans and, and, and there's many places in Scripture where, where he unpacks the fact that we're not supposed to be able to do what we're called to do in our own strength. That's why we need Jesus. If we get to a place in our Christianity where we have outworked our dependence on Him, I'm nervous for your Christianity. We are supposed to be dependent on Him. We're supposed to need Him. And Romans 5.5 5 says, and hope. So I don't, I don't end up at the end of 1 Corinthians discouraged. I don't end up at the end of 1 Corinthians defeated. No, Romans 5.5 5 says that I have hope that does not disappoint because God has poured out His love into my heart by the Holy Spirit, whom He has given us. Can I tell you right now, you cannot do 1 Corinthians 13 on your own. You cannot do 1 Corinthians 13 without the Holy Spirit. <laughs> you just can't. We're human. We don't have the capacity to love like that. But when we position ourselves at the cross, we position ourselves in front of Jesus and go, can I be honest for a second? God, I, I can't do, I know that's what you would like us to be, but I can't. God says, hey, 
That's why, that's why there was a cross. Because, because all, of, all of the punishment and consequence that was connected with the old covenant, or in the new one, I, I dealt with all of that. So what there is now is there's grace and there's forgiveness and there's empowerment. Because now I'm gonna do something called pour out my love into your heart and you can operate from that place and from that space. And even when you still get it wrong, there's still forgiveness and there's still grace. So the day after day, we can come to God and go, God, I need your love in my heart so that I can love to the best of my ability, the way you would like me to love so that our community can point to the fact that there's a God. Thanks for joining us for the C3 Victory Podcast. We would love to see you at one of our services. To find out more, visit us online at c3victory.org.au or check us out on Facebook or Instagram.